This is Lynn Berenson. Hi. She's the executive director of the Family Dinner Project, a nonprofit organization based at Harvard. Lynn and her team work with families to learn about their dinner habits and to share best practices between everyone involved. Lynn's mission matters because families are eating dinner together less often than they used to. So I talked with her about how sharing meals with our loved ones can improve our lives. And I asked her for tips on how we can get our families back around our dinner tables. I'm Josh Morgan. My conversation with Lynn is coming up next on The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'll preface this by saying that we can put air quotes around both of the words family and dinner because they represent flexible concepts. But Lynn and I will come back to those in our conversation. But I think it's safe to assume that we don't value spending family time together as much as we did before, at least collectively. Or maybe it's not that we don't value it, but that we've been taught instead to juggle a hundred things at once. And as much as we'd like to spend more time with our families, we've forgotten some of our options. It could be all sorts of reasons, but the trend is clear. So what do we do about it? That's why I'm so glad Lynn came on to share her story. Even though getting a family together may not be one of those easy asks that I mentioned before, at least not for all families, this may be one of the most accessible social problems I've been able to share on the podcast so far. Lynn and her team at the Family Dinner Project have been inviting families to work with them on how to reverse this trend. And they've also partnered with several organizations to learn what they've observed. And they've established a serious online presence to help families come together with the goal of restoring some of the social benefits that have been lost. I'm so humbled that Lynn made time to talk with me. And I feel like I've learned a lot from our conversation. If you'd like to get involved or if you want to talk with the team at the Family Dinner Project, be sure to check them out at thefamilydinnerproject.org. Here's Lynn Berenson, Executive Director at the Family Dinner Project. One of my original questions for you was to ask, I guess, what has been the overall trend in families eating dinner in the United States? Mm -hmm. But I attended a talk with Robert Putnam back in November. Um, He wrote the book, Our Kids, about how there's really been a polarization in American culture in a lot of different ways. And one of those ways he, he mentioned in the talk I attended was about family dinners and how, especially along like class lines, that different groups of us eat dinner in different ways. So I guess I would modify that question and say, do you have a, like a general sense? Like, can you provide some context on, on what you're seeing as far as families eating dinner these days? Sure. So if you were to ask me, you know, how often are Americans eating dinner together? And I would say it's a trend worldwide, but just for the purposes of this podcast, we'll talk about Americans. My overall impression is they're not eating dinner together very often. Some reports say 40% of families don't have regular family meals. More recent reports have much higher numbers. One says that only 22% of families are able to set aside specific days for family meals. And of these, only 13% have four or more family dinners per week. We recognize that on the Family Dinner Project, we recognize that having dinner together is challenging for many families. There are lots of demands and distractions that can pull families apart. We hear about several common obstacles that go across all different types of families, including time, money, level of cooking experience, tension, and distractions at the table. 
So with our online resources and our community-based programs, the Family Dinner Project helps families to improve the quantity and quality of their meals together. We try to make dinner simpler, more nutritious, more, more fun, which I think is crucially important, and more meaningful. As research, and there is a lot of it, it tells us why family dinners are so important. The Family Dinner Project is really the how, so families can realize those many benefits, which include physical benefits, social, emotional benefits, and academic benefits as well. I, I've heard you mention both uh, the term meal and dinner. It, mm-hmm. it is, does it have to be dinner? It doesn't have to be dinner. And I spend a lot of time trying to help families not feel guilty. I think a lot of people, when they think of family dinner, they have Thanksgiving in mind and it can be soup and a sandwich and it could be breakfast. Of course, ideally, yes, people would get together more often and and have dinner many nights a week. But if you can only manage breakfast, if you can manage lunch, if that happens to be what the schedule makes happen, it's finding time pausing together, enjoying each other's company over food. You can still reap those benefits. So we will probably get into this later, but there are lots of strategies for maybe a late night snack or starting if you have a two-parent household and one parent is regularly working late, maybe when he or she comes in, joining that person and just sitting with that person while he or she eats that meal. Finding that time, however it works for you, a snack before a soccer game or something like that. We try to suggest multiple ways that families can find time together and still reap the many benefits. What are some of those benefits? As I said, they involve physical benefits, social, emotional, and academic benefits. And and the research is so replete with actually random things like families that eat dinner together. It is a higher booster of vocabulary than even reading to your children. It's that conversational piece. So academic benefits, kids do better in school. Their vocabularies are improved. Nutritional benefits, kids eat higher fruits and vegetables, lower rates of obesity, any at-risk behaviors, things about teen pregnancy or drug and alcohol abuse, all of those kinds of things happen less frequently when families have dinner together. So there is a full range of less anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And it really comes from the bonding that happens when families are at the table together. Of course, often, and I can say this as a mother of teenagers, there can be some tension at the table and we try to suggest ways to, you know what, it might not be the best time to say, did you get your homework in and have you, how did that test go? And by the way, I don't want you doing X, Y, and Z. Um, We try to suggest to families, of course, there are always going to be difficult conversations. The dinner table might not be the best place to do that. So we suggest alternatives as well. Now, I know before you started studying uh, family dinners specifically that you got involved in studying people who do, I guess, quote unquote, good work. Mm -hmm. How did you get involved in doing that? As you say, my particular background is in research. And for over 20 years, I've been working at Harvard's Graduate School of Education. I have been studying exactly what you said, good work, and we define good work as work that is excellent and also ethical and engaging or deeply meaningful. I was drawn to that work 
I was doing graduate work in literature and it was really just one of those random things. I, I knew about how Howard Gardner and his work and I admired his work, got involved and really became so deeply engaged in what I was doing, I guess. <laughs> I found it meaningful and I wanted to stay and felt that there was the opportunity here for deep impact. The work in particular that I was focused on was eventually after being deeply involved in the research, I and a colleague developed a curriculum and other materials to encourage good work in schools and other settings. Those curricula are currently being used around the world. With the Family Dinner Project, I've used my research skills to evaluate the current research on family dinners and to understand really what works for families. There's so much great research out there already. We don't have to create it. So now I have the pleasure of trying to support families and organizations to make family dinner possible. Mm-hmm. Now, you said you're engaged in this type of work because you feel like it gives you a sense of meaning. Um, I was wondering, where does the inspiration for your research come from? Research work in general is, I, I think I've always enjoyed puzzles. Um, I mean, I, I love research. I love trying to figure out why things happen the way that they do. I've always been a bit of a bookworm and the smell of books and libraries is something that's always appealed to me. So I, I don't know that there's something particular in my background. It, it feels just a part of who I am. Oh, okay. And this particular focus in terms of good work I think I've had some really terrific mentors in my life. I've been lucky enough to work with some amazing people and I see the lives they live as examples. I want to do work that has a positive impact and whether that is writing things that might be able to help people, whether that's a curriculum or offering solutions to families it feels that my my time around this <laughs> this world of ours, I want to be giving something that helps in some small way. So uh, going back to your research on family dinners, um, uh, you'd mentioned before that, you know, there, there can be distractions around trying to get everybody together around a dinner table. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for making the process easier? Sure. I don't know if that covers a lot. <laughs> it does. It does. And that, that's absolutely okay. So I, I guess I would say off the bat something that folks often forget. You know, most importantly, family dinner can and should be fun. The Family Dinner Project is all about three things, food, fun, and conversation about things that matter. And we really do believe that all three are equally important. Another important message that we always try to leave families with, don't worry about being perfect. We work hard to meet families where they are. We encourage them to pick maybe just one thing to work on and help them with real suggestions about how they can make it happen. For example, um, many of us know that eating at home can be much less expensive and healthier than eating out. Home-cooked meals mean less sodium and more fruits and vegetables. Because we recognize that can feel challenging for many families, we have a real mixture of recipes on our website, many of which are very inexpensive and many of which can be prepared under 30 minutes. So eating at home also can give you the opportunity to get kids involved with the cooking, which can be really fun. It can also be messy, (laughs) but it can be really fun. And it can also make all the difference as you encourage kids to try something new. If they've cooked it, they're much more invested and they can also get that thrill of seeing, wow, people are eating what I made. We recognize 
even the easiest recipe can be intimidating for some families. So maybe just preparing one meal a week feels like the right place to start. And that's fine. Uh, So we really try to encourage families to figure out what's right for them and help them reach their goals. A few more specific tips, but I would just say to anybody listening, there are many, many more on our website. I'd say be creative. So do things that work for you. Maybe, you know, packing some sandwiches and having a picnic dinner before a soccer game. If you're, you have picky eaters, but they happen, you happen to realize they like breakfast, do breakfast for dinner, blueberry pancakes. There's, there's fruit in there. You can make them whole wheat. You know, there, there are many different options and, and they're often really quick. Um, I already mentioned family snack time when everybody gets home. So if your kids have already eaten, you have little kids that really need to eat, but somebody shows up at eight o'clock right before bedtime, they can sit for a moment with mom or dad and and just find that time together. I would say, you know, try to eat together as much as possible, but don't beat yourself up if the timing is a little funky. Another tip is start small. So just choose one thing to work on. If you have picky eaters, you can work on that. If there's tension at the table and that's the real issue, choose that to work on. If scheduling is the problem, focus on that. I personally have to, every Sunday, look at the full week before it hits. And as I told you before, we actually started recording, Josh. I have two kids who are really busy right now and Often our evenings are taken up with things. So on Sunday, I look and say, okay, well, there's going to be a late rehearsal on Wednesday. Somebody has karate practice on Tuesday night. I'm going to have a late night meeting on Thursday. So we're going to need three meals that can be prepared ahead of time. I might do some cooking over the weekend. I might do use a crock pot. Um, we might cook things over the weekend that could then be used in lunches. So there's a lot of prep. And if I didn't do that on Sundays, and often I end up having to wing it anyway, but that that helps me. Um, other, I know some people who plan a month ahead. There's no way that I could do that. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> but I think there, there are lots of different suggestions. So really, if choosing just one thing, have everyone pitch in as much as possible without making it feel oppressive. And also, again, figure out what's what's right for you. If the kids can maybe help at the gro- take them to the grocery store, help them, you know, they could pick out what's, what's a mango, you know, a way to try something new, or maybe people help with cleanup, figuring out what feels right for your particular family. And as, as far as the meals and the recipes, there are many, many more tips, you know, tr- meals that are fast to assemble, um, shortcuts like buying pre-made pizza dough. These things are okay. I think folks feel like, oh my gosh, everything has to be organic or, oh my gosh, everything has to be, you know, a five course meal. Absolutely not. (laughs) And I think going easy on yourself and trying to find the fun is critically important. I really like all of those tips because I think just me speaking from my own perspective, sometimes it's almost all or nothing. Like it should be, you know, every night or, you know, it needs to be as healthy as possible when I barely know how to boil water. (laughs) So all of that, all those tips sound like they're really good advice. And then, of course, they're backed by research. So mm-hmm. thank you for sharing that. Absolutely. How has doing this work affected you and your family? Like, did you feel like you had a good sense of eating dinner with your family before you started working with others? Yes and no. I've learned a lot. And one of the things that I find most gratifying is how much I've learned from other families. So I think we were doing okay. I'm, I'm lucky in that I was raised with a mom who 
had me in the kitchen all the time. And my husband also really loves to cook. So, and I would say that there's not a lot of overlap. He knows how to do certain things. I know how to do others. So we learn from one another and oh, we good. really, we really enjoy both being in the kitchen. Our kids have been in the kitchen with us from early on. And yes, it has been really messy and very hectic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have learned so much more from the families that we've worked with. So as I said, I know families who know how to plan a month ahead. That's just not realistic. But that idea of freezing multiple meals um, so that you can just pull them out in a pinch. I wish I had a bigger freezer, but it's a great idea. We have this amazing opportunity to work with Blue Star Families, which is one of the largest groups of military families in the U.S. They are over 100,000 strong. They have 50 chapters. And the Family Dinner Project has been partnering with Blue Star Families for some time now. Oh, that's They're great. A terrific group. And I know, go figure, but the military... They're very organized and the the families that we've worked with have fantastic tips. So, for example, have a meal swap meet on a Sunday or a Monday and with five other families and each family prepares one dinner, but five batches. So I might make five lasagnas. You might make five batches of soup. Someone else would make five batches of chicken parm or something like that. And somebody else makes a casserole or whatever. We meet, we have an exchange and everybody has five home cooked meals. It's just phenomenal. <laughs> so yeah. smart. And I mean, this is one of many, many tips that I've gleaned over the years from working with just really creative people. And there are so many out there. And I really would encourage families who are feeling stumped in one way or another to come to our website, which is thefamilydinnerproject.org, not to learn from me, but to learn from all those fantastic families out there who are just making it happen. And there are families who have so many challenges and yet they find family dinner as a priority. They get so much from it and they still make it happen. We work with a large group of students um, with an organization called FCCLA and they are the future leaders of America and they are just high school students who are really impressive. We learned from them too. And a high school student told us her family eats dinner together every single night. I can't remember where she lives, but it is somewhere in the Midwest on a very large farm. And she gets home from high school and is out on the fields and her mom brings dinner and they often will end up on the tractor sitting there eating dinner together every night. I mean, oh, people, that's cute. it's amazing. And it's, this is our way of life. I can't imagine doing it any other way. So I've learned a lot over the years. Is you and your team, is your work more observational or is there any diagnostic component to it? I don't want to say in a counseling role, but do you give families tips when you're in the field? Yeah. So two different things. As we've talked about, there's a lot of really great research out there. So we don't try to recreate that research. The benefits of family dinners are really, really well documented at this point. We do work with families to support them in whatever ways we can. And again, we have online materials. So online families can find 
daily resource called Dinner Tonight, which you can subscribe to. It is literally food, fun, and conversation for every day. So there's a recipe, a conversation starter, and a game. And if you subscribe, you can get it in your inbox Monday through Friday. So if you're driving home and you think, oh my gosh, I don't know what's for dinner, it should be sitting there on your phone for you, complete with, oh, what's my shopping list? So there's a daily resource. We have a monthly newsletter that folks can also subscribe to, which is you know, typically what's going on in that particular month around the holidays. There are suggestions for dealing both with the fun and the stress of the holidays. Back to school time, we focus on that, what that's like for families. So a newsletter is another great resource. We actually have a four-week program, which is really a detailed curriculum for people who want to jumpstart their family meals in a very step-by-step way. You sign up and you get emails once a week. So that's right for some families. For other families, just finding us on Facebook, where we have a pretty active page and following us there, you can get tips every day on Facebook and that might be as much as they need. So online resources, that's how we help families. And then we also do community work. And that community work is really where I wouldn't say we observe families. I'd say we learn from families. So we have a community dinner event, and we've done hundreds of these where over the course of two hours, we will sit with a group of families at a YMCA or a boys and girls club or a school or a church or temple and work with a group of anywhere between, you know, 10 to 20 to 40 when we've done, you know, larger gatherings too. And over the course of that two hours, we do food, fun, and conversation. We'll cook something. We will often make guacamole or we've made tzatziki before with the kids, which they love. Really, it encourages the kids to try something. Many of them haven't seen avocados before. Then we'll eat dinner together. And then at some point, kids kids will go off and make dessert and we will sit with the parents and brainstorm and talk about their current challenges and strengths. And that's where Again, I say we learn from families because it's not us telling them, oh, here's how you should do it. Instead, it's who's got some ideas. And there is always one family who has some challenges and there's always another family who has the solutions to help solve those challenges. So it's really an amazing experience. That's how we work. Now, how does your work apply to families that, you know, maybe someone's listening and they live far away from their family right now, or maybe it's like a situation where, you know, I live um, with my wife, but it, where we don't have kids, for example. I mean, we can still eat together, but I guess what I'm asking is like unconventional households. I hate to use that term, but, you know, no, no. separate from the nuclear family model, I guess. Absolutely. So if you look at our logo, There are quotation marks there. And when I speak, if you could see me right now, I would be doing little air quotes. (laughs) Family is really your community and family is where you find it. So families come in all shapes and sizes. We actually have a section on our website that says family starts with two. So you and your wife might want to check that out. Um, I think you can reap all of the benefits of family dinner, whether you're a single parent, whether you, you know, you're an empty nester, you don't have kids, or even if, you know, you're on your own family is where you find your community. We've talked to and worked with college students who I think a lot of them out on their own for the first time kind of realize I miss that. I miss family dinner or they have a community that they didn't have before. And being with a group of other students and coming together around the dinner table, 
and talking about all the new things that they're experiencing, incredibly important. So I would say all of the tools that we have, they might not need, you know, keeping preschoolers at the table. They might, they could probably glance over those tips, but there are a lot of tips for conversations, you know, when things get somewhat heated. We have a lot of people right now who have reached out to us since the election saying, I find it really hard to have conversations with extended family members, perhaps, because they voted differently than we did. And so, you know, we have suggestions for lightening the mood. And if you can't laugh and you can't enjoy one another's company, you're not going to get to those deeper topics. So, to answer your question, there are the benefits can be reaped by all of these other groups and family really is where you find it. And I would also say it's incredibly important to just find the fun. I, I had a previous guest on the podcast, um, Sarah Gray, who's the founder of this project called Friday Night Meatballs. Mm-hmm. And every week she gets together with some of her friends and and everybody gets together at her house and they cook spaghetti and meatballs. And, you know, I mean, the impression I got was it's just practically the same meal every week. I mean, there may may be some variation, but the important thing was getting everybody together. And the, the quote that sticks out from my mind was she, she told me that, uh, you make family. And I, I thought that was very, uh, profound. Yeah. No, I agree. Family is really where you find it. Family is, again, families come in all shapes and sizes. Is there anything about doing this work that surprised you? So I'm constantly learning, as I said, from our families. And I think the depth of family dinner as a topic, it is continually enlightening. And there are lots of different ways into family dinner. So we have a lot of inspiring organizations reaching out to us because they have a topic and it would be great if families might want to consider it over the dinner table. And for example, we partner with the 92nd Street Y every year on their Giving Tuesday initiative. And that's in Massachusetts? Uh, No, the 92nd Street Y is in New York. Oh, okay. There are a lot more than a Y, (laughs) a YMCA. (laughs) They are really international I mean, they they do so much good work. I would encourage folks to look them up. Our work with them has focused on Giving Tuesday, which a lot of people I think are starting to hear about. But everyone knows about Black Friday, which is when you go shopping after Thanksgiving. And then there's Cyber Monday. Um, Giving Tuesday is an international day focused on giving. And we have partnered with them for many years now trying to encourage families to think about the important topic of giving and how at an early age, at least on a personal level, but also on the family dinner project, we think it's important to encourage the people sitting around the dinner table to think beyond themselves. So what can we do to give? And it doesn't have to be money. It could be time. And on the family dinner project, historically, we've talked about ways that we could give that focus on family dinner. So perhaps there's someone who typically eats dinner alone, invite them to share a meal with you, or even something that your kids could do, pack a little bit extra in the lunch. And maybe during lunch, you could have a little meal swap. I know anybody with any allergies would freak out about it, but make sure there aren't any nuts included. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
So just thinking about getting that giving muscle flexed at an early age, that kind of topic, um, the ability, you asked what surprises me, and those kinds of topics are really near and dear to my heart. I would say we've partnered again with a really terrific organization called Points of Light around uh, Martin Luther King Day every Sunday before that day. They have America's Sunday Supper, and the focus is encouraging people to come together on that Sunday night and talk about really the lessons that Dr. King taught all of us, in particular, the importance of service, but there are also so many other lessons that can be talked about. So really just finding the time to pause and reflect and talk about things that matter, yes, but also do so in a way that can be fun and enjoyable. That's great advice. Where would be the best place to follow your work or the work of the Family Dinner Project online? So we're on Facebook at the Family Dinner Project. We're also on Twitter, FDP underscore tweets. And again, we also have a website, thefamilydinnerproject.org. You can find us at all of those places. And I would also say there is a contact us spot where if you write to us, we respond very quickly within 24 hours. And we've had a lot of really terrific inquiries from everybody like pediatricians or teachers or students or parents. And we love to hear from people. We love to hear how, if there are particular things that you can't find on our website, please let us know. I'm sure there's somebody else looking for it and we'd love to make our tools more accessible. Um, And also if you were wondering, Hey, well, how can I do this? Um, I'd love to do one of those community dinner events you talked about. We have a guide so that folks can put on their own community dinner events And we'd love to get that out to people. So be in touch. We are always happy to hear from individuals and organizations. And I I want to emphasize that the Family Dinner Project website is so deep. I found myself, you know, just clicking page after page. I was like, wow, this is so interesting. (laughs) So I I would say I really appreciate that that's available. Thank you. Yeah. Is, Is there anything I haven't asked that you'd like to talk about? There are a couple other topics that we've heard from people about that they might want to know more. Um, So I would just highlight two things. Yeah, please. First would be something called our conversation of the week. So each week we post a summary of a current news story, along with some thought provoking questions that will help families talk about things that matter. So recently we've posted conversations about the significance of the symbolic first 100 days of a new president. We've also posted thoughts about going back to school or the Olympics. So these ideas and the accompanying questions help families to dive deeper into important topics together. The second thing I'd highlight would be our resources addressing technology at the table. So this is something we hear a lot about. We've had many families reach out to us to ask if we have a quote unquote position with respect to technology. You know, should be, is it bad to watch movies or what are your rules about phones at the table? And just as you and I've talked about the fact that there's no one right way to have family dinner, there's no single answer to how much technology, if any, should get a place at your table. That's a good point. 
we're not the technology police. And above all, we hope to meet families where they are when they turn to us for help. I'd put technology in a list of many things that might mean some additional distraction at the table. But I'd also stress that parents are often just as much, if not more, to blame than the kids. We have an entire section on our website with suggestions about how to tackle this often really tricky issue. Completely stepping away from technology can be hard for some, and it's okay to start small. Families need to figure out what works best for them, agree to it, and stick to it. I know some families completely ban technology at the table. Others have a basket for phones. (laughs) One family's rule was put the phones in the middle of the table and the first one to reach for it does the dishes. (laughs) 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 So, but I don't, you know, it's not necessarily a, a be all end all. And sometimes technology can enhance conversation briefly. Like what is the answer to that? Okay, let's look it up and then let's put it aside. Yeah, that's true. So. I would just, you know, figure out what's right for you. But I do think it's important to acknowledge that it can be a real distraction. And as I've said, there are so many things pulling us away. Families need to try to figure out how to come back together. I I wanted to say in closing, you've been really accommodating and I'm really an admirer of the work you're doing. Because like I said before, I, I think this is an important issue that we should be more diligent about. So thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And again, I am impressed with the work you're doing as well. And you you are equally accommodating, so don't give me all the credit. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. Thanks so much. It was good to talk with you. Okay. Thank you, Lynn. I appreciate it. This has been The Plural of You, and I'm Josh Morgan. The show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all I have for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care.